And um, our expectation and our hope and our rejoicing is that you are here. And we want to hear what you are saying. And so, Lord, as we gather together to hear your word, we honor you and we honor your word. And our confession is this, that uh, without your word, we're, we're aimless and, and we're lost. But we thank you that because you speak to us in the core of our being, that it would be more than words in an English language, it would be communication, the unveiling of truth in our innermost being. We pray that that would happen, and you said that that is the thing that you use to build your church, and so we invite you this morning, build us as your church into the image of the kingdom of heaven and of yourself, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So, let's, let's do a bit of review. So, we've been discussing over the past while, and we're in the process even, uh, and we've hopefully been a bit vulnerable uh, to say that, you know, we're on a journey. And um, I hope that we're all, in, uh, we're all comfortable with the fact that this thing of church and this thing of following Jesus is a journey. And uh, we can, you know, we, we like to pull things together and make it look like we've got everything figured out and all of this kind of thing. But in fact, following Jesus means taking one step and you see it, that oftentimes the word of God, as the word of God says, the word of God is a lamp to your feet. It's a light to your path. Last time I checked, a lamp doesn't show you the whole end from the beginning. It shows you the next couple steps. And so uh, I'm very comfortable with the fact that we're on a journey and comfortable that as long as our heart is truly seeking him, then he works out what it is that needs to happen. As long as we're just kind of following him and being faithful to hear him and then, and then obey, hear and do. That's kind of the simplicity of the gospel. And so um, within that, I'm saying that as a local church, we are, I feel like, it's almost like I said a few weeks ago, it's like when an earthquake happens, the foundational plates underneath the surface of the earth shift. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. Foundational plates, yeah, and they collide with one, each other, one of, uh, with each other, and one of them gives way, and that's what causes something to manifest upward on the surface of the earth. And I feel like there are foundational plates in the life of this church that, that are saying, we need to... We're, there's, we're, the, what we're doing right now is not exactly facilitating the fullness of what we're called to do, and it's a tension, and, psh, and, uh, and something is going to manifest here in the way of how we do church. And one of those things is the fact that um, we're shifting into this room, which is perhaps a small, a small step, but um, there's an intimacy that we're hoping to facilitate, and kind of a, uh, that traditional church, and I have nothing against church. In fact, I would be happy if we grew to 150 and went back into that, whatever the case is. But there's something of, of it's not just sitting in a chair and looking forward. Church is about family. And um, so we've talked about the concept of, of church as it is in the scripture. Because I feel like we, as a church in the days to come, we're, we're going to be reformatting what the rhythms of our church life look like to facilitate critical values of the kingdom of heaven that God has given us to walk out. One of those things is family that we just talked about. So just, just to kind of remind us of a concept, if you look back in the Old Testament, the overarching concept, almost like Google Earth. If you've ever seen Google Earth and, you've, and you, you kind of like go back, 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 and you end up seeing like the whole globe at once. If you do that with the Old Testament, look at the whole thing. 
the, one of the huge themes, if not the big theme, the big theme, I guess, is Jesus. Uh, even though he may not be mentioned, it's actually all about the Christ coming. But it's this thing of the temple. And the temple of God being that God had a people and that he gave those people a place, a promised land called Israel, the land of Canaan. And in that, in that country was a city called Jerusalem, the holy city, the, whose name means uh, God is peace, the Lord is peace. And in that city was a temple. And it's like the, the epicenter around which the whole of the people of God and the culture and the society that he was creating in the earth, it all revolved around the temple. And the temple was this physical building in which God was believed to dwell. And we find out in the New Testament over and over that the people of God are the temple of the Lord. They're being fit together as living stones, the scripture says, to be a habitation of the Lord through the Spirit. In other words, God wants to live in the earth. That's always been the point of God, is that he wants to have a place to live and dwell in the earth, being the people of God, except in the New Testament, it's no longer a building. Do you guys know that God does not live in this building? And the, any other church building that you see in this city or in this world, God doesn't live there. And it's not holy. Maybe we pray and consecrate it to God or whatever. It never was meant to be the, the, the temple, the living place, the dwelling place of God. You and I are. Any person who has received Jesus are literally the living, the, uh, the habitation of God in the earth. That's the idea. And so we've been looking at, okay, well, not just redoing everything that we've known church to be. Let's allow the Lord not to show us new things about what church is, but to go back to those ancient truths that perhaps have sometimes been lost and one of those ancient truths is that uh, Jesus said when he began to gather a people together in Matthew chapter 6 the first time you see him separating from this throngs of people who didn't really know who he was but they were gathering together because they heard about the miracles that he was doing and they were interested but standing from afar from that group of people were people called disciples they said something to the effect of this man is the Messiah I'm following him that was the first church. And when he first taught those people, you know what he said? Revolutionary new concept. He said, he referred to God as Father. Revolution. Now, you and I, it's like, you know, we're a good, you're a good, good father. And we're used to this concept. In that day, maybe even a blasphemous concept. But what he was doing is drilling in that no longer is God the communal. The, the, the collective national God, the God out there somewhere that has manifested some, in some way. He is your father and you are his son. And you become his son by believing in me, the son of God, not me, Jesus. By believing in me, the son of God, by that you become a son. That that has always been the purpose of God is family. And that the essence of true church as God has always desired it, is not simply meeting together on a Sunday morning or afternoon, although this is important, but it's important for the facilitation of the real purpose of God, the development of family on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Family. That you and I on our identity are not just another institution in this city, and that this city doesn't need yet another institution, that that what the city needs is family because that really is what God is building, family. And so I'd like to remind us, because we are all Detroiters in the room, am I right? Even if you're in Metro Detroit, you're still a Detroiter. Come on. 
I'll, I'll let you. The people who live in Detroit are like, why did you say that? That's not true. But uh, outside of Detroit, people refer to this collectively as Detroit. I'm, I'm, I'm babbling. I'm, I'm waffling. Let me just say what I want to say. This awesome city of Detroit, down on the corner virtually of Woodward and Jefferson is a statue. It's called the Spirit of Detroit. I think it's virtually prophesying over the city. And it says this, that the artist expresses the concept that God, through the spirit of man, is manifested in the family, the noblest of human relationships. And if there's anything that has been broken in this city, it's the, it's the degradation of family, of fathers being fathers, as God had originally called us to be, as moms taking their place, and that unit leading well fam- I mean, children so that they could grow up as robust, healthy, and whole children, adults who could fulfill the call of God on their lives. And not only that, but the church itself would be a family. And the last time I checked, for us to be a church family, we need to be made up of many healthy families. And on, to that end, we're discussing this thing of, of parenting and family. And let me make something clear. Excuse me. That uh, what we're talking about here applies to every single person. This is obviously relevant to parents, but this is also going to be relevant to anyone who is a child of God. Because we're not only talking about it in the context of how to parent our kids, but we want to include that in there. But uh, it's how we develop as a whole healthy being which is applicable to anyone in the room. But certainly, we want to look at how can we help our children to mature and develop in four particular areas that the Scripture says that every believer needs to develop in, or that Jesus himself, as a child, developed in. So this will be applicable to you as a parent. It will be applicable to somebody who may be a parent in the future. It will be applicable to anyone who is involved in making disciples, which is, in fact, the call of God on the church, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm right, what Jesus told us to do. Make disciples, in other words, mentor and influence other people with anything that he's given you. And it's applicable, as I said, to any person who is a child of God because you're a follower of Jesus and you're growing. So if you look with me to Luke chapter 2, and in this, uh, the 52nd verse, today we're going to talk about developing in favor with God. And I'll explain what that means. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, you see Jesus as a 12-year-old. And he goes with his family uh, to the city of Jerusalem. They were in Nazareth. They go to Jerusalem. And they are um, at the, the Passover, to celebrate the Passover, an annual event in the rhythm of Jewish life. And uh, when they come back, Uh, Jesus is still in Jerusalem. They don't even notice that he's not with them when they leave, and they have to go back to Jerusalem. It takes like two or three days to find him. A whole other story. But he's 12 years old at this point, and it says that he goes back with his family to Jerusalem, and he submits himself to his parents. And we know that he'll be there for 18 years, because he's 12, and we don't hear anything of him until 18 years later at the age of 30, when he appears in the ministry of John the Baptist, gets baptized, and is ushered into his earthly ministry. So for these 18 years, this is what the scripture says, that Jesus increased in, number one, wisdom, number two, stature, and in, number three, favor with God, and number four, with man. Wisdom, stature, wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. Let's say these in other words. This is 
uh, mental development, our education, our wisdom, our knowledge, our understanding that help us and are necessary for every person to be able to fulfill some kind of a contribution to society and to the, the call of God, the purpose of God for their lives. Education, mental, wisdom, understanding. It is stature, which is physical. How many of you who were here last week have thought, because we talked about wisdom and stature last week, how many of you here last week have thought this week about diet and exercise? Now, you don't hear about this perhaps in church very often, but it's critically important because the same God who creates this spiritual stuff, miracles and this word of God, he created this physical body. And like practically speaking, we need our kids to grow up physically as well as in all the other, the other four compartments. But then relationship with God, healthy relationship with God. In other words, spiritual development and then social development. So today we're talking about spiritual development. You ready to crack into it? Favor with God. So first of all, let's define that. Favor with God, the idea of favor with God. The, the word favor there is the Greek word charis. And uh, that would speak of, um, well, let me just define it to you. The Thayer definition would, would define it well. It is that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, or favor. So I'm going to say that again. And I want you to picture these words in, in the, in the, as descriptors of your relationship with God. And as anyone that we are influencing, most certainly our own children, that this would be descriptive of their relationship with God. Because these four areas says that Jesus grew in favor with God. In other words, healthy relationships. So again, here are the words describing what the relationship with God is to look like. That which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, favor. So let me make a point as we're getting started that relationship with God, many in the room have know what it is to receive Jesus by faith and to become what the Bible calls born again, a child of God. And we know theologically that we become right with God. We're accepted. We're a child. Here's sometimes what we forget, that just because we have received Jesus and we become a child of God does not mean that our current relationship with God is healthy. So we become accepted by God, but the reality is that God is a living being. We're made in his image. We are relational. He is relational. And I can be walking, I can be accepted by God, but I can be walking in a place where my relationship with him today isn't sweet. And what we want to do is cultivate in our own lives and by extension in our families a sweetness of relationship with God. And there's one word that hinges on how that relationship is sweet. Are you ready for it? Faith. Faith is the key. Faith is the single most important thing that creates a sweetness in the heart of a person with God in heaven. And we want to live, walk by faith. And as we do that, we can pass it on to our kids. That creates the sweetness between heaven and earth. And so let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1, uh, 1 through 1 and 2. And 
kind of dig into this. So here's where we're going to be going here in the next couple minutes. Is that, relate, that God has called us to develop healthy relationship. Doesn't matter if you're talking about from a parenting perspective. Let's be honest right up front from the beginning. You cannot parent your kids into something that you don't walk into yourself. Ultimately, you're just going to give away what it is that you have. Which, by the way, can be scary, right? But can I, can, I, can I encourage you, though? Parenting is a part of making disciples. And in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus first commissioned people to make disciples, the 12, he came and manifested himself as resurrected to this 12 people. And you know what these 12 people did? They didn't believe him. He had been telling them that he was going to come, he was going to die, and then he would come back. He told them, he prepped them, and then when he did it, they didn't believe. There's this guy, Thomas, is like, well, let me uh, actually touch your wounds. I want to touch your, your, your wrist, and I want to touch your ankle. I want to see, is this really you? He had to feel physically in order to have faith and believe something of a spiritual truth, right? So then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he, he, it's the, the Bible says he, he rebuked them for their doubt and unbelief. So it seems like they are completely discredited from being used by God in the preaching of the gospel. Am I right? They didn't believe the message themselves. Next words out of Jesus' breath, he tells them to go. Preach the gospel to all, of, all the nations. Those who believe will be saved. Those who don't believe will be condemned. They right there could have been saying, I didn't believe and I, I saw you. How can you be telling me? Because God calls you not because of your perfection, but because of his call and his grace. So what I'm wanting to say is, as parents, don't feel as though you have to have everything right in your life. God has entrusted that child, or as mentors and influencers, God has entrusted that to you, and he always uses you, even though you're imperfect. So let's look at this. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith. So I want you to understand that. The way in which we come from a place of being in wrong standing with God to being justified, meaning that we are acceptable, we're made right, is faith. Justified with faith, we have peace with God. In other words, anything that had been creating division has been obliterated by faith. Would you agree with me that relationship with God begins with faith? That's the key. That's the doorway. Peace with God uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we understand what the basis of our faith is. It's one person and one person alone. It's Jesus. He is at the center. Romans 5 verse 2, through him we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And the word grace there is the same word used in Luke chapter 2 where it says favor with God. That word for favor with God is the same word as grace, charis, that which affords loveliness and joy and sweetness. So let's say that again. Through him we have access by faith into this sweet, joyful place of relationship with God in which we stand. What is it that gets you into that place? Faith. My friends, this is what I'm saying, is today... You want, we want to live in favor with God. We want to live in the sweet place of God. This is all God's looking for. Believe me. That's it. Believe me. 
I can remember when I was, uh, when, when my older son who was just playing the cajon drum back here was, was a, a small one and he was uh, still in need of diaper changes, that he had a strong emotional response to uh, changing diapers. Anyone ever raised a child who were not easy with the things that needed? So he needed to have his diapers changed, and when he would, he would get upset, and we'd know, and he would smell, and we would know, okay, it's time for a a nappy change, as we say in South Africa. So anyways, we would take him, and the kid, once you opened up his shirt, and you got him to where his skin was exposed to the cooler air, he just, he didn't know what was going on, but no, he didn't like it. And he didn't understand that I was just wanting to respond to the thing that he wanted. He knew something was going on down here that needed fixing. He didn't understand that I was trying to help him. And he would arch his back. He would do this and he would scream. And it would be like this people who, we would take him out of the living room having a social moment to go change his diaper. And they would think there was like World War III going down. I mean, it would sound like flat-out abuse is going down, like what was going on. And we even had this little diaper pail, you know, that would like seal and keep the stench out. And, and when you flipped it open, it sounded like a smack. And so, so he, he would be like, ah, and then you'd hear this. And then it, and people would be like, whoa, you know. They looked like we needed to step down from the ministry. But anyways, there, there was like this arched back thing. And I can just remember looking at Peter. Peter, like, trust me. I see what you need. I'm trying to help you. If you would just settle down, I can help you. I'm here to help you. How often, can I ask, is God looking at us the same way? And we're like, ah! And all upset. And God is actually working. And if we want to live in that sweet place, here's the key to sweet relationship with God. He just wants us to be looking to him, seeing him as our source, and and trusting in him. And as he reveals his will to us, that even though it doesn't make sense most of the time to our minds, it may seem very uncomfortable, that we ultimately say, I don't trust myself, I trust you, I'm going to go with you. That's it. It It doesn't mean from that point that if you walk out with perfection everything and you don't do anything and you never upset your wife and you never do, that then he'll really be happy with you. No, you're going to be flawed as you walk out the call of God, walk in faith with God. But the point is, he doesn't want perfection of performance. He simply wants faith. And so we need to to identify what is faith. If you'll you'll look with me, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 5, there's this uh, Roman centurion. So he was kind of like an army figure in the Roman army. He would have been over 100 soldiers. And uh, this is such a critical picture of faith because we see in this story, um, in in Matthew 8, 5, we see in this story that Jesus actually marveled. He was inspired by a person. I want you to take into consideration that a man, like as in a created human, something that Jesus himself, in fact, created because he was God. He was marveling at something a person did. Isn't that like, doesn't that blow your mind that you would make God marvel? (laughs) Like be amazed? Let's look at this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for him. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? 
And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. What is he saying? He's saying, I get authority. I get that I myself am under authority, and so I obey the commands of somebody higher than me, and I get that there are people that I am in charge of, and that I say, and they do. I get the the authority thing, and what he's alluding to is that, Jesus, you are the head honcho. You aren't even just over some army. You're over the nations of the earth. You're, You're over all of creation. You are God, and he says... I'm not worthy for you to come, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And when Jesus heard this, uh, verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, or another translation say he marveled. God, in the form of a man, marveled at the faith of another person. And he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I would think if you're making Jesus marvel, and be amazed, I would say that you're probably walking in a favorable relationship with God. What I'm wanting to say is that is the key right there. That's the key, is faith. So what is faith? Let's, let's identify it. It is surrender of our own will. Not, it's surrender of our own will, and it's seeking him for his will. That's faith. It's, in other words, I, I can spell it out in one word, trust. We know of his authority. We know his authority. He has all power. He is the solution. He's the maker, the creator. He's got the answers. We look to him and don't trust in ourselves. That's it. Now, how can we trust in him? And I'm going to get into some practical stuff in just a minute, but I just want to say this. Isaiah 53, because this is so important. We need to know this, and in as much as we know it, we then have to, it to give away to those that we're, we're leading. And we'll get into some practical things just in terms of how to facilitate that as parents. But let me just say this. Isaiah 53, prophetic of, of the love of God that would be revealed through Jesus. Because how can you trust somebody unless you know that they love you? Am I right? How can you trust somebody unless you know that they have the power to actually help you? And in Isaiah 53, listen to this. Six to eight hundred years before Jesus was even came into the earth, these words came through the prophet Isaiah to speak of what he would do and reveal the love of God. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Does that sound like an angry God? The punishment that brought us peace in other words, good relationship with him, that punishment that, had to, that was necessary to bring that about was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, having gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way. We rightfully should be smacked by God. We're all gone our own different ways. But the Lord has laid the, on him the iniquity of us all. He was punished for every single thing that ever has been done, never will be done by you and me. That is the love of God. I can trust somebody who is willing to do that when I was the one that deserved it. And he did it for me. So, and let me me just uh, say this. I've said it before, but just before we get into the next little thing. Who made up the rule that somebody would need to be sacrificed in order to atone for our sins? 
Who, who made that policy? God actually did. God created the policy so that there would be a requirement that he only could fulfill so that he wouldn't just say, I love you, but he would have a thing in place where he would have to demonstrate his inexhaustible, unbelievable love for us. So, four things that we can implement to help facilitate faith in our children to help develop a positive relationship with them. You ready? First thing, saturate yourself and your family environment with the love of God and the gospel. Saturate. So in other words, it's the revelation of the gospel. Make sure that that is saturating your own heart every day. Here's within that one tip. Jesus taught us to pray, and he said to pray this way, Our Father, I want to encourage you, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, and then start praying about what we need. I want to encourage you this, start with this, start your prayer life with a recognition. First, before you get into any of your own stuff that you need, if you don't do anything else, start with the declaration, you're my daddy. Acknowledge who he is. Saturate your heart with God loves me. I'm his child. I'm in his house. I'm under his care. He wants to help me. And in fact, before I even pray about what I think I need, I'm going to go to the next thing and start saying, holy is your name. You're wonderful. And before I even start praying my own stuff, I'm going to start saying, in fact, I don't even want what I think I want. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Start your prayer life with a declaration. I would say secondarily, saturating our, our, the atmosphere of our family. Pray with your family and seek God and trust God together. I know we can all nod and say, that's awesome, that's good. Do it. <laughs> Prioritize it. We've been doing the best that we can as a family every Monday night um, as a family, going through, in including our kids in this ministry that he's called us to do and making them a part of it. And so I would also say, secondarily to that, bring your kids, so saturate your atmosphere of your, your own heart and your family with the gospel. Secondarily, is bring your kids or whoever it is that you're influencing into your faith journey. When God first called us to move from South Africa, which was already a big leap of faith, to move back to Detroit, as we began to realize that this is definitely the will of God, one of the first things we did was we sat our kids down and we started talking to them about this thing to bring them into it. And we said, this isn't God calling mommy and daddy to preach. This is God calling the four of us to, to be a blessing in Detroit. And when we started doing that, I rem I'll never, ever forget it. My youngest one, who at the time was, I think, eight years old, started to, he opened up his mouth and he said, he started saying these things descriptive of talking about how God will cause people to start experiencing Jesus. And as those people experience Jesus in Detroit, they'll want to tell other people. And as those people experience it, then, then we'll start having more and more people. And he says, are there, are, are there other places around there that need churches too? I said, yeah. He said, well, maybe some of the people, as they're experiencing Jesus, they'll be sent and they'll go start other churches and, and repeat the same thing. And we're like, yes, my boy. That is exactly what we didn't even have to tell him. And so I'm wanting to say is, God calls all of us in family. 
So parents, don't think that you're the ones who have the real thing with God and maybe one day they'll come and start relating to them now. Because the Spirit doesn't have an age. And if your child has received Jesus, they've got the same Spirit that you have. Thirdly, is pass on your faith in practical life. Parenting is in the context of Jesus' commission to make disciples. Pass on your faith in practical life. In other words, as your kids come home and, and somebody spoke mean to them, as they're struggling in this thing, as they're in fear about this, as they go through all the stuff, as you learn to seek God, look to him in practical life, teach your children what you have learned and how to live in faith and how they can walk in their practical struggles and needs and begin to look by God to God in faith for uh, leadership. Okay? And then thirdly, and then fourthly, I'm just seeing if you're paying attention, and you are, so good. You did well. Fourthly is um, I would just encourage us all to regularly lay hands upon and bless your children. Uh, there's power in that. Uh, and so and it's just a little, little turn. I know a lot of you do that kind of stuff already, but just encouraging. Um, so for me, every night... Saying goodnight to my kids, lay hands upon them and bless them and speak what I know to be God's will. In fact, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, I've probably spoken over my boy's life every day for years. That Lord help them to grow in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and favor with man. And, um, and, uh, and then on the way to school, do the same. So we are going to take communion. I know we're about to eat some hamburgers and hot dogs and I know you guys are excited about that but before that we're going to celebrate a family meal the family meal that was instituted by Jesus in the way of communion and so uh, Jason if I could just ask maybe it'd be cool if you could kind of give us some little bit of uh, worshipful musical accompaniment to to this moment my friend Um, guys we're family and as we partake of this that's one of the declarations we're making is that Jesus has made us to be us to be family. And that's one of the things that Paul teaches. When you take communion, you need to recognize you are one with the other people in that room. You're one. But you're, we're also going to be taking it as a family. So if there are families in the room, I'm going to ask the kids, could you find your parents and, uh, and go join them now? And if there are people here who may not be with anyone that's family to you in this room right now, uh, I'm going to want to ask all the families to uh, just look out in the room and make sure that everybody has somebody to take communion with. So we're going to kind of do it together. Is that cool? So um, why don't we have everybody find your family and find somebody that you'll share communion with. Awesome. Um, and then once you're ready, you can come up and, and grab the communion elements which are here at this table. And then we'll go back to your seats and, and I'll kind of lead us through how we can receive communion together. So go, come on up. Once you're with your family, come on up and, and, and get your... And then you can go back to your seat. Once you have your stuff, just go back to your seat and and I'll lead you through.
Okay, so does everybody have somebody that they are praying with? We're gonna do this in groups. Everybody covered? Anybody not? Okay, we're good. So this is what I want you to do, is just kind of get maybe into a huddle of some kind or a circle or with, with your group. And we're going to do three things in receiving communion. The first is we are going to celebrate, so somebody in the group pray out, okay? Represent a prayer on behalf of the, of the group, celebration of what Jesus has done. That because of his broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus, that we have become children of God through faith in Jesus. And celebrate the fact that we are that, we're children. Secondly, Pray that his kingdom come in our families, in, in, in our households. So there could be some single households here. So every household represented in your group, let's pray his kingdom come. And then thirdly, let's trust and, and say that in receiving this, we're receiving you, we're receiving your leadership, Jesus, to lead us into your will being done in each of our households. Is that good? Let's consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Let's pray.
Awesome, guys. We're going to break now. Um, but I just want to say, let's, let's catch that heart. That kind of take a pause. Big picture question. What, is God, what does God want? He, wants? he wants a family. His church, the core identity of church is rooted in the idea that God is a father. And if he is, then we are sons. And he wants to have family in the earth and that the importance of this thing that God instituted at creation, the most important thing being family, let's not miss the forest for the trees and get caught up in all these things that we're doing in our life to forget the big thing on God's heart is family. And let's make such importance, not only that the families in this church would be healthy and whole, but that they would be so for the purpose of being able to help other families become healthy and strong in the city of Detroit. And I believe that God wants to work miracles, not just healings, although we surely want to see that, miracles of restoration and family in this city. Every time you pass that Spirit of Detroit statue, remember that, that he wants to restore um, family. So Lord, we thank you. Uh, for bringing us into your family. And we want to pray as you told us to. You are our Father in heaven. You're holy. You're perfect and wonderful in all of your ways. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom come, that family as it was originally designed by you would exist here in the earth in this church. And we want to continue to pray as we prayed before. For, the, for families and broken people in this city, even ones that we would be meeting in the next few minutes as we celebrate a meal together, we want to pray that families would be restored, that you would work miracles, um, and you would, you would bring children into a healthy, whole environment in which they could walk out their purpose and call. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay, so in case you don't know, we're going to celebrate what we call Love Detroit, which is having hamburgers and hot dogs outside with anyone who's walking by. Invite them and just get to know them. We're not trying to cram spiritual stuff down people's throats. We're wanting to build and invite them into something of love, and uh, which may manifest into becoming part of the family 
who knows, but we want to uh, build relationships. So enjoy the food. Hot dogs are kosher, just so you know. And, uh, and if, yeah, good. So let's go outside. Is someone going to change the signs over to Love Detroit? Are you going to do that? We'll have to. Okay. Let's get a I'll table and signs right now. A table. A table for outside. Okay. I need that right now. Okay. Um, okay, my two setup guys are busy doing counting the offerings, so I'll hop in. Me and Peter. Um, where can I get a table?